Hello and welcome to this, the 23rd episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And this second series is brought to you thanks to the very generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. And because of that support, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we won't ever charge for these podcasts, but we are looking for you to put your money where your mouth is and put your money into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And as we tell you each week, the simplest way to go and do that is just to go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. And there's some incredible work on out there at the moment up and down the length and breadth of the country so do please get out there and support go and buy those tickets but if this week or this month tickets are slightly beyond your reach maybe check out a funded.ie and indiegogo one of those crowdsourcing websites and see is there a theater project over there that could do with your support donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards but of course you can't support without even having to put your hand in your pocket go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person or over a coffee or by sharing the link as a facebook post or retweeting the link on twitter do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on itunes can't stress that one enough it's hugely hugely beneficial for us in terms of chart positions but if you aren't using itunes and iphones and apple and all that these podcasts are of course streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie do go back and listen to all the other episodes push them up in the charts uh, both from the second series and the first series do please leave us a review on itunes or simply click to rate us on their five-star rating system again massive help for us in getting the word out about these great theatre shows. You can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And it's been another busy week here at Rise Towers. We have been out in the Dolman Theatre all week and it's been fantastic, I have to say. It's my first time ever having a show with Rise out at the Dolman and the audiences have been loving it, just leaping to their feet, standing ovations every night uh, and really, really into the show. It's a lovely kind of intimate space. So you're right in there with Dan and Marie giving these incredible performances and they've been having such a great time with it. We've really been enjoying it. Uh, Delighted to be there. This is the first and hopefully just the first of many for us out at the Dolman. And so that brings us to our guest this week, who is none other than the brilliant Laura Honan, uh, a woman of many diverse skills uh, and the real powerhouse behind the phenomenon that is Theatre Upstairs. I mean, Theatre Upstairs has been such a crucial and influential engine in the in the world of Irish theatre for nearly a decade now, um, particularly at a time when getting new work produced has been phenomenally difficult and these guys have you know in their madness have decided okay well we're just going to do world premieres of all the stuff we do will be a world premiere which is brave and ballsy and terrifying too but they've been pulling it off with remarkable success and laura is absolutely at the heart of driving all that ahead a woman who's steeped in the business a woman who knows it all so look let's get straight into her story here she is the brilliant laura honan the wonderful Laura Honan. How the hell are you? Hi, Angus. Thanks for coming into TU for this. I am delighted to be here. This is one of my favourite places to be in the whole of Dublin, as you know. Apart from just the panoramic, beautiful views over the River Liffey, uh, it's where I have seen some of my very favourite shows over the last few years. Um, so, talking about going back through the years, let's go back to the very beginning. Where do the initial sparks of an interest in theatre happen for you, particularly given the house that you grew up in? 
Uh, I think growing up in Waterford when our dad was um, general manager of Red Kettle, which was uh, came to prominence in the 80s and was really prolific throughout the 80s and 90s and even into the noughties. Him and Jim Nolan was the artistic director at the time, who's actually my godfather hey. as well. And... Um, they just started creating this work out of a, a need to have it happen, basically. It was as simple as that. Um, a lot of it was new work. Uh, a lot of it was happening in Garter Lane Art Centre at the time, down in Waterford. That was the theatre that they had a very close connection with, but they toured all around the country um, with the work. And we just grew up around that. That was, you know, the playgrounds. That was where we hung out, you know, there wasn't a thing of kind of going off to childcare in those days, you know, it was entertaining yourself. Just sat in the rehearsal room and kind of Basically, don't break things. Uh, yeah, don't be rude and don't try not to make noise and, you know, just observing it, I suppose, seeing it all and... Um, that, that, so we always grew up with it. It wasn't like there was like one moment where I thought, oh, I saw that one play. It was always a viable career option, I guess, on the table, which it isn't for people who don't maybe grow up in houses like that. And also it was a viable career option to look at all aspects of what's involved in theatre, as opposed to, I think, a lot of people who don't come from households like that think the only avenue is acting or yeah. the only avenue is something that is very prominent and seen, basically. So I never had an interest in acting you know and Katie my little sister did have an interest in that um my older sister Jen um doesn't work in theater you know she works with kids my younger sister just got skulls in uh Trinity Law (laughs) yeah Jesus Christ so it's a bit of a mixed bag it's not like the whole family got involved in it and went to it and stuff like that um it was just myself and Katie actually who picked up uh the bug or whatever you want to call it yeah into it so and so an awful lot of people I chat to say you know I, I just like you say I, I didn't even know a career in the theatre was possible but like yeah. you say, you're like just steeped in it and surrounded by it have you recollections of those early years of meeting kind of really interesting people because like theatre folk can be a strange bunch of kind of brilliant awesome crazy people were there lots of great crazy awesome people knocking around I guess in hindsight there was, but at the time, no, you don't perceive it that way. It's just your normality, you know. I think that it's served myself and Katie well being in the arts now in that I don't think we're easily intimidated by people, nor do I think we're easily maybe drawn in or fooled or we don't have rose-tinted glasses about it. Um, Everybody is a person at the end of the day and has normal stuff going on in their lives when they leave their workplace the same as you do if you work in an office the same as you do if you work in a bank the same as you do if you work anywhere so in hindsight I guess you could look back and go oh there was that person or this or that or whatever but no you don't perceive it as being like wow this is so magical growing (laughs) up in this world like wow you know Um, like Carl's girls like Saoirse and Isabel now spend so much of their lives like in TU they spend so much of their time over in the Peacock with me like seeing stuff and like they don't that's just their normality they don't think wow look at this you know it's just that's where we work and And that's what it is no No. (laughs) (laughs) so talk to me then about starting to think about it career wise from kind of just being around and going oh yeah this is kind of fun to actually maybe I'd like to make a go with this because as you said you know you had seen it as a viable career option not a kind of oh sure I could never make a living at that 
Yeah, I just didn't... We'd always done, like, work experience in the summers or whatever. If you needed to earn a bit of pocket money, like, that's what you were doing in in various different degrees in it, whether that was sort of admin around the festival, the TV now runs Waterford Spree, or whether it was with our mom. Uh, She was production manager at that time with Red Kettle, and... um, so we were always sort of bashing around here and there doing bits and bobs and then I finished school and just didn't know what I wanted to do in college and was lucky enough not to have parents who were saying well you have to do something so choose. Don't be a teacher or an arts degree or something. Yeah yeah they, they were like you know you go to college when you're ready and you know what you want to study in college yeah. you know which is I think the way it should be for for anybody like I don't think it's a anyway that's a that's another <laughs> another topic. Um so I left school and uh, there was a theatre down in Waterford at the time, The Forum, which was also a nightclub. I don't know, do you remember this venue? It's amazing. I don't know that I do. It rings a bell. Yeah, it was a really, really good nightclub and um, the plays would happen and then they'd sort of clear back stuff and there'd be a nightclub and they'd like drop a curtain in front of the seats or whatever. And uh, so it's a Philly McMahon kind of a field day. Then. Oh, totally. Oh, it was like <laughs> heaven for that, yeah. Um, and basically they just liked having big lighting shows and stuff um, because they had big dance acts and obviously okay. with the dance act the design around the act is so huge as opposed to just lights up on yeah. a band you know uh, so just started doing that it was as simple as that just went in and just started doing it there was no anything about it it was just sort of like well this needs to be done and it was like okay I'll do that and then from being in the forum sort of doing what I thought was a summer job just doing these lights for DJs and stuff uh, Andy Cummins wandered in one day right. um, and he's my now brother-in-law's best friend and they have been best friends forever and he was uh, doing the relight on a show and it was a theatre show and he just said do you want to start basically learning how to do this and then I was like yeah and then he had just moved back uh, he'd been living in Dublin I think and him and his wife well not wife but they're basically wife uh, Susanna were coming back they were having their first child Diego and uh, Andy just taking a job in the Theatre Royal and so I started working as a lighting technician with him then in the Theatre Royal and that's then when my now brother-in-law not at the time brother-in-law John came home John Grob who is excellent stage manager and he started saying well do you want to learn how to stage manage and I was like yeah okay and you know it was just one thing after the other like you know they were always like as many strings to your bow as you have the more work you'll have and I was just really enjoying it and just having the absolute crack like in yeah. as you always do in those early days when nothing matters <laughs> nothing matters so tell me about what it was like picking up those new skills and and so what did you kind of find you took too easily or what were challenges or what did you find was kind of like a nice kind of creative output for you I never took to sound okay and everything else I took to I think I just put it that way yeah Uh, yeah I just never took to a guy called Jamie Beamish who's actually a brilliant actor and sound designer as well um he um actually gave me a, a mac uh, when I was only maybe like 18 instead of showing me how to use QLab and that's the first time that I started being interested in sound because it was more about the design aspect of it yeah. I still have no proper comprehension of the uh, you know sound side of sound design okay. but I would have a, I'd have a good idea now at this point about the music design okay. of sound design and stuff like that like recently did the, the music for Murder Crows and stuff you know so yeah. now I'd, I'd have a good aspect of that but I still if you asked, gave me two speakers and some cables and a desk I would really struggle to hook that up you know which is pitiful 
useful, really, after so many years working as a technician in theatre. But I, the rest of it, yeah, I took to pretty easily. I like to be organised. So the stage management, I took to like a duck to water. See, that's the thing. That's why it would kill me. I'm the least organised man in the world. Yeah. Um, and because it, it's one of those. How things is that the case I when you just, do? I know. Like I that know, can't be a real I thing. It, it, trust me, it is. <laughs> uh, this is my life. Uh, also, a lot of two a.m. finishes. Uh, so. That thing of it's one of those things where you know, for some, like you talk about performing, it's for some people, it's just not for other people. No, but equally, stage management is for some people and it's really not for other people. And it's funny when you see people trying to do it who it's not for yeah. because there's aspects of it that like you, you might be for, but you're not for the other aspects of it yeah. because there's so many strings to the bow of like amazing stage. I mean, you had Tara doing one of these, you know, yeah. and like, hello, I mean, my god. Tara Furlong stage engine like you know talk about meant to be doing what you ended up doing like you know and she's someone who has all those strings to the bow of what she does and does them and it has achieved excellence Mm. in that you know and so there's some people who have like are they're really great at like maybe one part of it but they're you know so they're great at like maybe the admin side of it but they're not great at maybe like developing the relationships with Mm. the creatives on board on it you know which is so important to facilitate the conversations that can cause big problems so there's just so many strings to it that I think is is interesting about it as a a career do you think it's the one area that even maybe people quite involved in the business don't realize how significant how important it is for a successful show I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd find it hard to think that people involved in theatre couldn't comprehend how important Even diva that was. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe they don't acknowledge it. But I, I would find it hard to believe that you could not know. Yeah. Do you know, it's kind of like people who who don't believe certain things. I was talking to someone yesterday. This is such a segue, but like I was talking to someone yesterday about um, the Kardashians because we were talking about Thomas Game Burns' new of play. Course. And it's all about social media and stuff. And I was saying it's gas to me that people still say, like, they, they don't have a job. And I'm like, well, no, they do have a job because we have to all accept now that having social media and running these lifestyle websites is a job. Yeah. You might not like that it's a job, but it is a job. It's like a clamper. I might not like the fact that clampers <laughs> exist, but I can't say that it's not a real thing, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of like that with the stage management, I think, where it's kind of maybe you might have people who don't acknowledge the importance of it but I think I would find it hard to believe that you can't see it because it's so potent yeah. and real on shows yeah. certainly if you have anybody who's been doing it for a, a significant amount of time and really know what they're doing as a stage manager I think yeah. you know it's I just think a good stage manager is worth their weight in gold oh, in terms of keeping the show on the road if there's no comparison when then does a move up to the big smoke of Dublin start to happen young like I mean I started working up here on and off from 18 really yeah and I was touring a lot then as well I hadn't yet realized that I don't like touring (laughs) I was just doing it thinking eventually I'll like this and then eventually I think I like maybe was like 23 I maybe did it for like four years or so and then I was like I just don't like doing this why am I still doing this um so yeah I was up and down and up and down and then around the time then when I copped that I didn't like moving around I like having a home and I like having a base to come home to every day um I moved for the same reasons anybody moves. There's yeah. not enough work where they want to do what yeah. they're doing and they're not leaving Anthem behind at yeah. that point. You know, my family is there, obviously, and stuff, but you can always see your family. Yeah. You know, I wasn't it's leaving. Two hours down the motorway. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have kids, didn't have, you know, a yeah. partner, didn't have Anthem that I had to make a tough decision about. It was an easy thing to go. 
And, you know, one of the things we... One of the, my jobs in this, as I kind of curate the, the 52 guests of the year, is to try and get a spread of age and theatrical discipline and uh, gender balance and all these other things. But another thing that I need to go for is a kind of a geographic spread. And the tricky thing is that on an island as small as this, things do tend to get centralised in Dublin. Mm. And, you know, so that's... Do you have any thoughts on having grown up around the a very vibrant local art scene in Waterford? Have you any thoughts on how we can keep that vibrant and sustained around the country? Is that even possible? I mean, it's it's something that... Be, like, the first time I started seeing... The first time still and the most in-my-head moment that I have of seeing theatre and going, oh, my holy God, that's what theatre can be, was starting to travel to Cork to see Kirkadurka produce right. their work because my brother John was stage mentioned for them at the time, my brother-in-law. Um, and I, I just still to this day, my mind is blown as to the quality of work that Pat Kiernan and, and Finn and even like their collaborators, they're always with like Paul and Mel and everybody. Like the level of work is astounding that they produce yeah. you know and uh, like um, early days was the ones that I was seeing was things like Wojciech with mm. DP and Rory and stuff and just going oh my, across this island you know and the hairy ape with mm. Peter Gowan and just walking into this room and like have a big shutter pull back in a warehouse and seeing like genuine real to scale furnaces that would be under a ship in front of you with 20 huge guys running between a pile of coal that's the size of theatre upstairs and <laughs> up and into the furnace and you're just I mean even still now having travelled internationally and seen stuff constantly seeing stuff up here I still can't get over the magnitude of the size of the work that they were doing coupled with the genuine passion for the text and giving the story a clear emotional true line that was always so affecting at the end you know and to sort of have only seen them this year at the Irish Times Theatre Awards really yeah. rewarded to the level that they should be rewarded for their work that's shocking that that's taken that long to happen you know so I do think that um, obviously n very few of us have control of where finances go but I think lots of us have control over what's recognised with awards, what's recognised with coverage in the national press, what's recognised as being something that we should travel to see. Like so many of us travel to Galway, but we never go to Cork, yeah. you know. Um, so I think that all of us have like lots of different ways that we can support the work, acknowledge the work, highlight the work when we know that this really is world class theatre that's yeah. happening on our island, you know. So I hope that having seen the fact that they won so many awards this year, I just remember seeing a photo of Pat on Facebook the next day with I think like <laughs> five awards that he was trying to juggle in his arms, you know. Um, I hope that that means that that maybe that's shone a fresh spotlight on it for people yeah. of another generation as well and sort of gone oh yeah like this is what they are doing and this is what they have been doing yeah. you know for so many years it seems that there's a feeling where 
you'll jump on a plane to London to go and see stuff, but the mm. idea of jumping on a train or a bus up to Belfast or Cork like that feels like it's a there's a bigger barrier to people feeling they should do that or something. It's, yeah, it's I mean, I, I remember we got tickets to see Gado when the guys were doing it with Druid recently at the Galway Arts Festival. And I remember like the cast like saying to us, like, you're some of the only people we know that have seen this show because nobody booked tickets and then they were sold out you know this kind of thing because people just don't think oh I'll do that or I'll you know and and then it became like the hot show and everybody's like scrambling trying to get in to see it or whatever but the fact of the matter is no one even thought like this was well publicized (laughs) this was happening it wasn't a secret production of (laughs) Waiting for Gatto that the guys are doing you know Um, so again I just think it's people just looking outside of like the immediate and thinking what else is there to see and support now not everybody has the time to do that not everybody has the money to do that but i think there's plenty of people who do and Mm. you know that's the way to get it seen and that's the way to get it recognized i think is by everybody seeing it supporting it it's like grassroots stuff that grows you know and if you don't have that in your own community be that people in the industry traveling to attend it, be that coverage from the press, be that uh, awards recognition, whatever. If you don't have it in your own industry, then like, how is it supposed to grow economically? Or how are the powers that be supposed to really say, yes, that's where we need to be focusing our energies because people do care about that, yeah. you know, and it's not something that's happening far away. Yeah. We're so close here. We're all just so close. Exactly. Just a couple yeah. of hours yeah. everywhere, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's true. <laughs> so, Yeah. Talk to me then about the association with the Abbey and when that starts to kind of formalise. How early how early on in things does that start to happen? Um, it started to happen pretty soon after I got to Dublin. I think I was only here maybe, I'd only moved like three months or something, which is just, you know, it's like, can I say fuck off? Yeah, you can say whatever the fuck you it's want. It's like, fuck off, you know? Um, oh, you were here for a month or whatever, like, and then you were like in the Abbey, whatever. Um, I met Kevin McFadden who runs the lightning sound department um, he the lair hadn't opened yet yeah. and um, there was, but the dance festival was on and the dance festival was happening in the lair one of the lair studios he was down there designing a show I met him he um, just said do you want to come in the show next week um, he said it was silent by Pat Kinnavan okay not a bad place to start <laughs> And he said, you know, it'll just be myself, like I'm doing the relight design for it, the redesign for it, really, in the Peacock space. Uh, it'll just be me and you, you know, small theatre, whatever. I've been to see lots of shows in the Peacock. Yeah. And um, I got in the stage door, you know, you're walking there to the Abbey on the first day, you know, and you, as much as you say you don't care and blah, 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 whatever. When you're walking, I remember having the same conversation with Katie when she was doing like the right one in. Then when you start to walk there all of a sudden <laughs> to go to work, you do get this weird thing of like, why am I nervous to go to work to do what I always do in work? Now, in fairness, Katie wasn't going to do what she was always doing as eventually people yeah. saw what she did on the stage with Eli. But um, yeah, I was going in to do what stuff that I had done before, but just so nervous. Anyway, I got in um, to the stage door. Donna was there, who uh, works at the stage door. And I just said I was looking for uh, Kevin McFadden. And she called up and she said, oh yeah, he's uh, he's coming down. He came down with a hard hat and high vis and he put them in my hands and he was like, I'm actually tied up uh, for the next few hours or something, so I'm just going to put you in the big house. Like, shoved <laughs> me through the door. They fit up for the house, which you were in, is happening. 
And I mean, the whole scale of just standing there for the first time from the stage perspective and seeing the stage when it's full and, and empty is so much more vast than maybe people are used to seeing it once yeah. the sets are there, you know. So many people, it seemed like, around. And just, I didn't know where to go, what to do, who to talk to, whatever. And uh, was introduced to Dave Carpenter, who's the Depp in there, and he said, right, I'll put you with Owen Byrne, who I think and most people in theatre know at this point. And Owen Byrne is just physically very intimidating when you meet him for the first time, because he's a large guy who was on a, a height to me at this point, and he doesn't remember doing this, but I went, he came up to me and he said, uh, what's your name? And I said, Laura, and he said, well, welcome to the National Theatre. And I was standing there with a rope going, what the fuck is going on, you know? And it just went from there. I just really haven't stopped working there since I leave every now and again to stage manage a different show um, if something takes my fancy, but um, vast majority of the time I'm there, and what's been brilliant about being there is that as time has gone on, um, Kevin, who's just such a good manager of people, has recognised that I like to work with new work predominantly. And so most of the time I'm in the Peacock with all new work, which is amazing, you know, to get to see and really to be so much more involved. Like upstairs, you're kind of like a small cog in a huge machine, you know, and downstairs you're much more involved with everybody everybody's much more of a team together you know you can be upstairs in a show and you might not meet someone from the one day from today dot and yeah. you've been on that show together for three months you know mm. when Carl's in there and shows we have to arrange to meet somewhere <laughs> in the building to say hello to one another because it's so vast that you, yeah. you could just not see each other from one to the other but I think um just to sort of say it probably seems like I'm like scattered or very unfocused in terms of oh so you kind of are a creative director in theatre upstairs and you're kind of a freelance stage manager and you kind of work as a lighting technician in uh, the Abbey but um, it's funny like they all tie together and I've been so fortunate to have the choices of stuff to work on in where I earn my day to day um, crossed in that I have been able to get to the point where I can choose to work in the Abbey I can choose to work then again within the Abbey within the Peacock when it's viable to, to, to have that choice sometimes it's not and we just need people where we need them Yeah. Um, so that I, I can constantly be observing new work happening basically and I think that's been the true line through my whole career really has been always been orientated towards making something that's new because I just think it's so much more exciting to not have any idea what's going to happen, you know, from day one to when it goes up for the opening night. And the second thing is that I've sort of noticed that I've always been drawn to, like, who I'm working with as opposed to maybe where I'm working or what necessarily I'm doing. So, like, really early on, I started trying to, like, get to Cork to work with Kirkadurka, you know. Um, After seeing their work, I was going, like, I want to work with these people. I want to see how they work, you know. Because I just think being around excellence is what I'm really passionate about, you know. And people throw that word around. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, excellence is achieving a high level of work over a very prolonged period of time. Because 
anybody can be hot and yes. everybody's hot right up till they're not, you know. And then there's excellence, which is someone who has constantly been producing at a high level over a very prolonged period of time, you know. So to get to work with someone like Pat Kiernan and yeah. see that person who is still at that level and still continuously growing you know like recently I took time off from the Abbey to work with Philly McMahon who I'd never worked with on this is pop baby Tara Flynn's show you know and again to see someone who's been so passionate for so many years and producing at such a high level people's stories that they need to get out to the world at really the zeitgeist moments that they need to get out you know and to see again how he does that you know how he operates when he's doing that and then obviously in theatre upstairs then with Carl and having from firstly just meeting Carl but then eventually seeing Carl direct work because he didn't start directing the work here for a long time he didn't want it to be a vanity project he wanted it to be other people who were creating in the space but eventually he did start directing the work you know and to see the level that Carl directs like new writing at be it high octane leper and chip murder crow stuff from Lee Coffey be it really gentle, clean, intimate work from Stephen Jones, like from Eden, be it really trippy but truthful work like I'm a Bird Now from Ross Gaynor. It's like consistently excellent productions and really vastly different productions of new work, you know? And he's obviously been, from early in his career, creating these characters fresh from the page that have now become some of the most iconic characters in our 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 playography in Ireland you know and then before TU like doing Semper Fi you know ladies and gents like touring the world you know it's it's like that's excellence is constant high level achievement over sustained time you know and so whether that's in stage management like with Pat and Philly or whether that's in TU working with Carl or whether that's in the Abbey with this team of lighting and sound people who have all been working together for over a decade in the one team, which is a long time for people to be working together in the one unit. Five out of six of them design freelance in that team and are excellent designers, you know, and constantly achieving at a high level of what they're doing, constantly caring about what they're doing. You know, that I don't know what I get from being around that. As in, I don't know. Do you maybe do you learn from that? What 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 do you get? There's plenty of things I'm sure you could say that you get from that. But it's what I like to do. Definitely, I do not like to work with people who don't have <laughs> that. You know, who are just sort of not really sure what they're trying to do, and they're just going to figure it out as they go. I'm like, no. <laughs> So that's, I think, the true line through all of it is those two things. Oh, that's incredible. Talk to me then about your role here at Theatre Upstairs. Um, so official title is Creative Director? Yeah. Right. Do you want to explain what that means? Or <laughs> have we ever hammered it down? I don't even know. Like, I think anyone who works into you or has worked with me into you would just know why I'm laughing at, like, what is your role? Um... It can be anything. I think that's why eventually we just had to say, you know, creative director, because it just, there's no span over what it it becomes show to show. You know, like, you can be really strongly involved in, or have been really strongly involved in dramaturgy with uh, different people, different writers along the way, um, particularly with Lee Coffey and Thomas Cain Byrne throughout the years. 
and uh, other days then you're designing posters for people you know like the electric poster that's there now like the guys had a photo shoot done on O'Connell Street all they had was the spire behind them it didn't represent the show you start to think okay what can we get across about this it's going to portray electric picnic you know I put the electric picnic logo behind it it was like that's working but obviously you can't use the logo Uh, so then got my sister Sarah the skulls in Trinity Law who's also an artist in her spare time because she's that much of a wanker (laughs) spectacularly talented yeah to paint the tree and then you slot it behind and whatever so you know and then obviously then you're doing like day-to-day stuff like the box office or like press mails or um mailingless mails or you know mails upon mails upon mails upon mails um lots of work with the designers constantly trying to bring up the level of design that's happening on a small scale been trying to evolve that over the years as well as how that can that cost less money like the floor that's in the lyrics set now belongs to theater upstairs you know got given it and so different ways that we can have things in to you that could help achieve a higher level of design without costing more money and stuff like that um i like what programming sometimes depending on uh maybe who which one me or carl has more of a connection with the individual artist who comes forward with something i like i don't even know like what way to describe like what we do here i just like it's a joke (laughs) really trying to put it into words is like you know yeah i just yeah no i just i'll just keep talking (laughs) but i just keep listening it's interesting again like because you talk about the connection with the peacock and the peacock for so long was really the driving force that engine room of irish theater and uh certainly my recollections of me being a teenager in the mid to late 90s coming in on my own on Saturday afternoons when the lads were all off playing football or kissing girls I was in sitting in the dark watching shows on the Peacock and it feels like in kind of over the last decade which was the lost decade in many respects for the country as a whole I want to mean for Irish theatre um, as a home and as a driving force for new writing theatre upstairs kind of grabbed the ball and ran with it when no one else could or would and I'm interested in what you how I'm interested in what you think of the role of theatre upstairs within the kind of overall ecology of Irish theatre yeah I mean there it's been really organic I think that's the thing there there was no master plan when we started um it wasn't about new writing when we started it was about uh, a smaller space where people can maybe easily or get the work up and on to maybe grow and tour to other spaces um, maybe letting people do different roles they wouldn't have done before on a show like an actor might want to direct or you know a production manager might want to design or whatever it was um, your show actually yes. was the show now this is going to sound like your oh, show right. is the show I, that made I, us so be I like we it. don't want to do that anymore Brilliant. I broke no. theatre upstairs Fantastic. honest to god this is what happened and Sinead Kelly can vouch for this my best mate who was here with us at the time yeah. setting everything up we had fight night here yes. and the fight night is obviously just like one of the iconic new plays from recent years you know that everybody who sees it is just like oh my god do you know about it and do you know what like we just didn't have that bite for it and we thought if we can't get as excited about hosting fight night at our venue we will never be excited about hosting people's shows at our venue that aren't new writing you know because it's sometimes it takes something like that coming where you see like that's the highest level that's going to be coming in here and if we can't really get passionate about then we're not ever going to be passionate about doing that so that's not going to be the right fit 
No. So that's after that show was when we said it's going to be, you know, Irish premieres and it's going to be world premieres. Then it got whittled down again to world premieres again, you know. So evolvement, like constant, constant evolution, you know, of the space, not knowing what you're doing one minute to the next, not having the scrutiny of having anybody question what you're doing one thing to the next like we're we don't receive public funding so we're not answerable to anybody on what we're doing with yeah. t- air quote taxpayers money you know there's a lot of scrutiny on people um you know with what they're doing and uh, not being able to fall and pick themselves up and move forward you know if there's big money behind it and stuff um lots of scrutiny on that so i think not having those chains around us has definitely allowed us to try stuff see what sticks see what doesn't stick see what works see what doesn't work keep moving forward and not be answerable to someone who really shouldn't have a say in what you're doing like creatively you know in something in the first place and not knowing that the sometimes the best stuff comes from falling and making those mistakes and picking yourself back up and moving forward again you know like uh, every single aspect of it has been evolution like okay so here's an example like of uh, we did a thing here a few years ago um, we did a residency in theatre upstairs where we thought we'll get like one company to do three shows you know and the idea was to pick a company who were just a team and a real company. It wasn't like one person, you know, it was a core company and that they would produce three shows throughout the year. So the first company that did that was Sickle Moon Productions. And previous to this, they'd done Conversations with the Government by Ian McEwan uh, at Theatre Resource, which wasn't a a world premiere. I don't think it was an Irish premiere because I think Carl did it with DP years ago somewhere, I think. Okay, maybe. Or did it somewhere else or something? Because I think Ned Dennehy did Butterflies. Okay. Someone else did cover my- Anyway, Carl, Carl can clarify that. <laughs> but, uh, and then um, they did uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was an adaptation that they did. So basically, uh, we put forward this idea, do, doing the residency, doing the three shows. But what happened as the year went on is they, they wrote all three plays themselves. They didn't collaborate with writers outside yeah. of them. Now, that was brilliant to see them obviously express themselves and cut their teeth so hard Mm. and fast, you know, in terms of like cracking what that was. And like, I mean, obviously, you know, Jesus, look at them now and the writing that they're producing. Do you know what I mean? They learned hard, they learned fast and they ran hard at it, you know? Um, And what they did was just phenomenal work uh, throughout the year. I mean, real honest to God, you know, work that they produced and the whole company produced you know Steve Murray and like Nicola Burke and like Christina Byrne and uh, Owen Carrick and Aoife Feely uh, you know all of them as a team together but the next year going into it we sort of explicitly outlined further now at the end of that year we said we didn't expect you to sort of write them all yourselves and they were like what? (laughs) they were like no why would we think that you would write all three plays yourselves like what? and they were like oh you know it was one of those moments where you think this is this is this is the difference between like sort of running at stuff with no funding and just you know trying and seeing what sticks as opposed to having like months and years running into stuff so the next year with fast intent uh we like further explicitly outlined that it's not to be all written by the one person or even a duo because with all the best talent in the world that's a lot 
of new plays, you know. Um, But what happened again is the two members of the company ended up writing each of the plays. You know, Gerard Adlam did the first and then Gerard Adlam and Nessa Matthews did the second and then Nessa Matthews did the third and Sarah Finlay directed all of them. And at the end of the year, I said to Sarah, how did she end up doing that because they were so adamant that they weren't going to do that going yeah. into it they were really fo- because they'd been running their readers group here yeah. for years they were adamant they weren't going to do that you know and she said well you know what it's just a phenomenal amount of work to produce these three plays in a year and really what we want to do is obviously showcase the actors that are in our company you know which is Nessa Matthews and Jared Adlam and the way in which that was organically we felt we could really achieve that was by bringing it from the page to the stage so that we could get them the roles that we wanted them to be seen yeah. doing, you know, which makes total sense, you know, but we were like, that's it then for the yeah. residency, because it makes perfect sense for the company to do that, but it doesn't necessarily make perfect sense for a way in which to produce new plays, you know, and that's something an example of something that even you have to listen to people you know and you have to go okay if these people can't achieve this and are saying this is really hard and this was really tough you know and these people are like so high level and so hard work and whatever then who's going to be able to do it do you know but i think then on the other hand then sometimes you meet people and you kind of go different there's no right way to write a play you know there really is not and that's something that i've really learned in here looking and throughout the years um between like recently like with thomas came burn sort of like bursting <laughs> into the theater scene <laughs> As only TKB <laughs> and watching him like organically edit that text like right through previews was changing huge chunks of that text yeah. And is now nominated for obviously a Stuart Parker award for that text, you know, versus a Katrina Daly, who when you hear first reading of that, every fucking syllable of that writing has been worked on, has been honed, has been, is there in its place, you know, it's not going anywhere or not, unless it's for an extremely good reason, you know, and again, like an Irish Times Theatre Award nominee, you know, so there's not a, there, there's no way where I would say that's, now that's how you write a play. Do you know what I mean? There's just not like, and that, that's something that, was a big learning curve because I think at first you think that there is I think everybody thinks that there is like oh we'll we'll crack the way to do it and there's not a way to do it there's your way to do it you know now having spoken of the benefits of not being answerable to Arts Council funding or whatever else if they came along in the morning and had 150 grand of a programming grant would that be something you guys would jump at or how much of a trade-off would it be yeah I mean I was in the Peacock recently with David Horan. Um, he was doing, him and Esalt were doing class in there, which is class, as everybody knows. And Dave just came in early one day and I was there working through lunch, whatever, and we were just chatting. And he was asking me that. He's, he's so kind with his time. You know, he spoke, he was in the middle of doing a tech and he was in the middle of rehearsing something else, but, he, you know, he stopped and talked for like 30, 30 or 40 minutes about this. Um, just asking exactly what you're asking now what's the benefits and what's the benefits and also giving really nice advice of saying well you know if you don't go for this while you have this niche thing that you're doing 
what's going to stop someone else from six months from now only doing like six months work and then putting it in and then all of a sudden the the niche that you have that you're doing is gone and that's already being funded so why are we going to fund you to do the same thing you know and that's a valid (laughs) intelligent question David I'd I'd like Um, to see someone try to get up to you guys pace in six months I think but like yeah so no I mean I think it's something that eventually does have to happen um that's all I have to say about okay. that. Eventually, it's something that does have to happen. Um, we haven't done it just yet. I am considering it. You know, there's a deadline in September for you know strategic yeah. funding, and I am looking at it and I am considering it. Um, but no, we haven't bitten the bullet yet, and we haven't done it yet. You know, David made a really good point when he was chatting to me that day. He was like, you know, obviously, what you'd be going for to start with is a small amount of money. And he said, but you know what? When you've got a small amount of money that's realistically a small amount of money to do 10 productions a year, all of a sudden it's like you're minted, do you know? And it changes the whole dynamic as well of people coming into the space and how they operate with you and how they work with you and whatever. So, you know, there's a lot of of degrees to it. There's a lot of things to consider about it. But it does need to happen. It does need to happen. Um, It's just finding the real want to do it and not just doing it because it has to happen. Well, you have to do it because you have to do it. You know, when we do it, I want to do it because we want to do it and because we know clearly what we're asking for and what exactly we would use what yeah. we're asking for for. Not just like, oh, here's 10 or 15 grand. Yeah. Free you money. Know. <laughs> Free money, you know. Um, what what does that then get used for? Mm. Exactly, you know. A lot of questions. A lot, a lot of questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me then. As you, as you look back on things... What are you most proud of? And I don't necessarily just mean like a, you know, an individual show or whatever, but it can be that I'm not proud want. of any of the shows. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. What are we most proud of? Uh, the, the artists that have come out of here, for sure. Like without a question even in my head about what we've achieved, um, what's been the point of what we are. People look at it and they think it's about new writing. And it is about new writing, obviously, and it's about new plays. What's the real value of it? The real value of it is the artists that have come out of college not knowing what to do, where to go, how to do it, how to believe in themselves to do it, how to have a chance to do it. Um, And seeing, you know, just the level of people that have done their debut plays here or... um, did, did so much of their work here in formative years as artists before moving on it's it's staggering sometimes to to think what if had it not been for theatre upstairs not in a good way yeah. not in a way that makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside in a way of being like oh fuck like that's not good yeah. that that's the level that it has to be at you know I don't think about that and be like oh go us I think about that and be like there there should be so much more of that happening like because that shouldn't be the case that these incredible artists would just get lost down the cracks because I think there is an issue of if you don't have the platform the the literal stage from which to kind of to you know the shop window I mean you know you think about the the likes of the Kate Gilmore's of the world who Mm. kind of found a home here early on and exploded onto the scene without the opportunity to show the world what you could do here 
you know, is the potential that someone that of a talent that great could slip through the cracks? Otherwise, you know, I mean, like it's, it's a scary know. prospect. That's and it's the prospect. You know, you never know. You never. You can. You can never know. It's 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 all hypotheticals, but the fact that it's a possibility is terrifying. Yeah. You know, the fact that it's not a crazy thing to think that that might not have been the case. You know, is terrifying and is wrong that that could even be potentially the case or have been potentially the case. You know, um, so I mean, I think looking back now um, on the how it was, you know, in the early years, it was so much of like us pushing people to do stuff as opposed to people coming to us doing stuff you know we were just so like let's just do i mean i don't even know where we got the energy in early years to do this and we used to do runs that were like a week long two weeks long there was never a break there was no text there was two days you know so i think there was years and there was like 21 new plays and stuff like that coming like what the hell like do you know what i mean um so that was just us being like just get the work out there get the work out there get the artists like seen and keep it going and keep it lit and uh you know i mean jesus i mean it created like a very manic frenzied energy around the space for sure that in one way you get moments like looking at Kate over like a six month period in maybe 2014 or 2013 um, doing her first musical uh, with Lawrence Falconer but that she wrote and was in A Picture of Us then writing Stella Full of Storms which went on to win the Oscar Royal for Best New Play as well then performing in the one-on-one show Petals which went on to be nominated for Best New Play while she was on tour with Little Gem that was in that was July to December of that year that yeah. that's what she was doing do you know what I mean and that was like consistently high level shit that she was coming out with like you know so in one way you know going go 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 can produce like magic moments like that and then in other ways it it became it was almost like I think about it as being like sort of what I imagine like the factory was at Andy Warhol where on one hand there's all this creative energy there and on the other hand it's it becomes a lot yeah. for everyone involved you know because you're you're creating together and you're drinking together and you know you're go 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 and every line is is blurred between you know friendship and work and everything you know in between and you just suddenly kind of realize that are you looking at the play yeah are you looking at that one production with all of your attention at that moment in time or are you looking at just going 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 you know in some ways the going 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 it served again in people evolving fast and you know that that's brilliant but it would be great to be able to feel like that hopefully now we're closer to maybe still achieving giving people platforms but also that it's not go 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 all the time that people are coming to us and saying i want to put this on and this is the timeline that i feel comfortable putting it on in and now they have four days to tech shows here which is really long obviously like yes but it's just being able to achieve design and stuff like that when everybody also has other jobs and is doing other things and stuff like that, but achieve stuff to a high level or whatever. It's just what we've been able to, to do, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, like, the point of it is to produce great new writing, obviously, because we're a new writing theatre and that's what we do. And I was only thinking, coming into this, I was like, for the past four years, every single year, 
Tia has either gotten an Irish Times nomination for Best New Play or at least one Stuart Parker nomination for plays that have come out of here, which is high level of stuff to be coming out of a place where people are sort of just like, I have two months off, so I'm going to do a show. Um, and the New Plays is what we're about, but also what we're about is rising talent being a seedbed for rising talent to get shit up get it on get it seen and hopefully that it continues on more nowadays as well that they don't just exist in their time here and then they disappear because again it's a bit more about the work now as well and I hope that it still retains that thing of producing the talent but it is more focused now I think on the the plays and the individual plays as opposed to the people creating the plays around them as well you know there's more of a balance now before it was just go do a play (laughs) okay (laughs) you know but I have sorry just to say there was one moment uh, that I just have to point out in like where I always think in my head was um, Leper and Chip happening here was the first time when I thought this place could be important yeah do you know it was the first time of seeing someone like Lee Coffey right come with this debut play not knowing anybody in theatre not having any way in hell of knowing who was who getting anywhere with a play Mm. you know having a friend Amelia who knew Carl from the gaiety who brought the show here that was the first show ever that Carl directed as well and agreed to direct and seeing Amy and Connell who are now two of my closest friends in the world and I dread to think what life would have been without having met them um, explode onto the Irish theatre scene and have every person it seemed like in the industry flock and see the show that was on at lunchtime <laughs> Lee Coffee at lunchtime theatre like do you know what I mean that was back when we were doing lunchtime theatre you know and I remember that was the first moment of seeing people come over from the Peacock and the Abbey and people like flocking in to try and like see and you couldn't get tickets to that show it was like gold just trying to squeeze people in people were faint and watching it and then Amy was like I'm not stopping my monologue if you faint I'm just gonna keep doing this play and you can get out um so that was the first moment that I remember thinking oh my god this could be something that could really be important to people in the industry you know so yeah well, it's fantastic, and uh, fingers crossed it keeps being very important for many more people in the industry. <laughs> as we continue on. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have you on. That was spectacularly brilliant. I really appreciate oh, that it. that was fast. <laughs> thank you, Angus. So there you have it, the fantastic Laura Honan. So great to catch up with Laura. And uh, just a really inspirational chat, that kind of drive of going out there and getting it done. It's uh, it's something that chimes so well with me uh, and fantastic to hear her talk that way. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of the theatrical goings-on around the country. At the Abbey Theatre, we have Here All Night from Garcin Lazar. Uh, at the Gate, they've just started off with Assassins, starring the brilliant Kate Gilmore and Rise Productions regular Rachel O'Byrne. At the Gaiety, Rory Nolan is working his magic in postcards from the ledge at the board gosh where i will be on monday night they have matilda which i'm very much looking forward to seeing again at theater upstairs the last couple of performances of uh, danny galligan and tom moran in lyrics which i got to see during the week for the matinee and uh, adored i would watch danny read the phone book it was a fantastic afternoon at the new theater in temple bar they have nora and at the mill in dundrum they have take off your cornflakes which is one of last year's show in a bag shows uh, at smock alley they have debris 
and at the Civic Theatre in Tala, silent and forgotten from the one-man phenomenon that is Pat Kinnevin. Do make it your business to go and catch those shows if possible. In Clontarf at the Viking, test copy from the brilliant Rosanna Parcel is about to finish up, and that'll be followed by The Dumb Waiter. Uh, at the Dolman Theatre, they have the last couple performances of The Good Father, and I've heard very good things about that show. Maybe we should check it out. Um, Bewley's Cafe Theatre is back in its traditional home on Grafton Street and has Normal by the great Katrina Daly and that is starring Port Marnock's finest Quiva O'Malley and the absolutely awesome Karen Ardiff uh, that'll be well worth uh, a lunchtime slot if you can fit that in at the project they still have Trist from Sickle Moon which as you know is one of my favourite shows of the last couple of years do make it your business to pop into Temple Bar to catch that if you can and then heading south around the country Toriot is at the Everyman in Cork and that'll be followed by Maz and Brick heading west to Galway at the Town Hall they also have Here All Night because that's out on tour at the moment uh, and they also have From Under the Bed and then at the Lime Tree in Limerick The Importance of Nothing and that'll be followed by My Left Nut again one of the Shona Bags from last year and up north at the Lyric in Belfast they have the Colleen Bawn that'll be followed by Tender Napalm and of course The Good Father very much looking forward to getting back to Belfast with Rise it's been a little while since we were there it was uh, the games people play last time we were there so really looking forward to getting back so look that is us that is episode 23 in the books. We will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 o